Welcome to the Special Ed Files. I'm Jennifer Laviano, a special education attorney. And I'm Julie Swanson, a special education advocate. Case by case, we expose what really goes on in special education. Each episode, we open up a case based on real life experiences. We reveal where things went wrong and explain the legal implication. Finally, we solve the problem so you don't have to. Let's open up a file. All names in this podcast have been changed to protect the individual's identities. Okay, Jen, let's open up the file on the Rogers and the recorder. Let's open that file, Julia. What are the facts? Well, the fact is that I had some parents who um, got me involved because they suspected that their fourth grade son had a learning disability and specifically was really concerned about reading, um, not only decoding, but but comprehension. And, the- and that's important, Julie, to mention that it was a fourth grade student because, you know, those of us who are in the field and know and, and learn about learning disabilities are aware that by the end of elementary school, it's, it's typically expect, expected that if a student has a learning disability, it's already been identified and there have already been services that have been provided to the student because particularly in the area of reading, by third grade, the expectation is that most of the students have the foundations of reading and writing down and you're getting more into content. Right, and I love the phrase that people often use um, and it goes, when up until the third grade, you're learning to read. And after the third grade, you read to learn. So we often see that kids who have learning disabilities start to fall apart in the third or fourth grade, because by that time, it is assumed you have these skills in place. And if you don't, boy, are things going to get tough, right? Yep. And that's what happened here, right? Absolutely. So uh, the parents made a referral to special education. And that is a process whereby the parents get in touch with the school district to say, I suspect my child has a disability. I'm referring them to special education. And it is the school district's obligation to evaluate that child in all suspected areas of disability. So um, I was involved in that process. And then it got to the time where the, the, the school team did agree to do the evaluations. And we came back to an IEP team meeting to review the evaluations. Now we had Mm -hmm. gotten those evaluations um, a a, a, a few days in advance and we knew the writing was on the wall that boy, they just didn't think this child had a disability, but there we were at the IEP team meeting. And Oh, by the way, Jen, the parents and I were recording the meeting on our iPhones. Mm -hmm. So you told the school district, they were aware of that. Absolutely. So we're at the meeting and they're reviewing the evaluations and it is determined by the school team that not only do they believe their son does not have any kind of disability whatsoever, but that he certainly would not be eligible for special education. So at that time, I had explained to the parents that prior to the meeting that they have a right to disagree with the district's evaluations and ask for an IEE which stands for an individualized education evaluation. I'm sorry. Independent. Sorry. It's Independent. Okay. I'm between IEP and IEE. Yeah, I know. That's the, and, even we fall into the alphabet Yes, we do. Yeah. And independent educational evaluation. See, even I mess up. So uh, we asked for the IEE 
And the school team, you could see them thinking, do we want to say yes? Do we want to say no? And they said, you know what, folks, would you give us five minutes? We want to discuss this as a team. Okay, okay. fine. So we, we got up. We were uh, led to a little room that we could sit in for five minutes. Um, and then about five minutes later, the principal came a knock in and said, come on back. We've made our decision. So we sit down and the team says, um, well, you know what? We don't believe that um, we require an independent educational evaluation. And we're going to talk about that. Who's right is it to an IEE, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about that when we break down the law. But we don't require an IEE. We are going to stand by our evaluation and we are going to deny you of your right to an IEE. And we'll get into this in, in the law, Jen, but that automatically triggers what's called um, due process, meaning that the uh, school district has to, without delay, bring the parents to a hearing um, whereby they defend their evaluations. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the meeting is over. Um, certainly the parents were not happy about their decision, but um, you know we left and the parents went home. And they ended up listening to the recording because that's, you know, oftentimes, Jen, I find that parents like to listen to the recording afterwards because they're so stressed out and anxiety is so yeah. high in the moment. They may not even remember what they said, right? Yeah. So they listened to the recording and, you know, quite innocently, um, what ended up happening here is when they had left the the meeting to go and take a break so the team could talk about um, what they wanted to decide, they inadvertently left the phone in the middle of the table. And inadvertently, Jen, the school team also didn't notice that the phone was left in the middle of the table. So quite innocently, right, not only did the parent that not realize they left the phone, the team didn't realize mm -hmm. that the parents left the phone. So innocence on both parties here, right? Right. But while we got up to remove ourselves for five minutes, apparently, because the parents were now listening to the tape, the team went on to, let me just say, um, describe the parents as, um, let's just say that there were some explicatives used that were not flattering. Um, mm -hmm. And the tone and tenor of the team toward the parents had revealed them. They had revealed themselves where they weren't terribly fond of these parents. Right. Mm -hmm. yep. And the parents had to hear this. And to, I mean, they didn't want to hear it, but to get to the end of the meeting, they had to listen to this. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, not much time goes by, you know, I think I was home for maybe a few hours and the parents had already listened to it. I get a phone call from the district's um, attorney saying, Julie, we realized that the recording was on while the parents went and took a break. We realized that there are some things on that recording that probably aren't flattering to the parents. And I am asking for you to destroy the tape. Mm -hmm. And I remember Jen at the time, this is quite a few years ago, I called you because I always call Jen when I <laughs> want to make sure I don't screw something up. 
right? Because let's face it, I don't have the knowledge that you do. You and, have plenty of knowledge. And I always say this when you call me, you really do ask really good questions. They're not <laughs> obvious yes or no's. They're like law school exam questions. Right. And I said, listen, I got this phone call from the board's attorney. They asked me to destroy the tape. And should I? Shouldn't I? And of course, your answer was, Julie, without a doubt, you destroyed that tape. And um, and so we did. Well, not not the part of the actual meeting, but the part that was recorded without the knowledge of the team. Correct. As it turns out, Jen, all right, um, they knew that we knew that they knew that we knew kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And writing's on the wall at that point. Yeah. And and we didn't say anything, but I did get then I got a phone call from the director of special education saying, you know what, Julie, we've changed our minds. Um, we're going to grant the parents the IEE, the independent educational evaluation. And I think they did that, even though they knew we could not use that recording in any way, shape or form. I think the director of special education was astute enough to know that she had to repair this situation. She knew mm -hmm. that the team felt um, had ill feelings toward the parents. Right. Mm -hmm. And she had to repair that. And by yes. goodwill, she granted the parents the IEE. And those are the facts. Those are the facts. So now let's get into the law on it. And there's a bunch of areas yeah. of the, um, the law that are implicated here. And it's, as I said, it's like a law school exam. It's fascinating, some of this, <laughs> this, this information. So one of the things that I want to focus on before we get into the federal special education laws, um, the IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, I want to talk just fundamentally about recording meetings, okay? So let's separate out IEP meetings, individualized education program meetings from some other kinds of meetings, like a team meeting you might have or a parent-teacher conference, et cetera. Recording meetings with your school team it, without their knowledge in general is very, very risky. And in some states, if that state does not allow a recording of somebody without their permission, even if they're part of the conversation, there could even be criminal implications, okay? So we've seen in the news all over the country in various situations where parents have, you know, sent their child into school with a recorder or, you know, wired. Um, usually those are situations where parents are pretty desperate. They suspect their child's being uh, assaulted um, or uh, physically harmed in some way, either by other students or heaven forbid, sometimes by a paraprofessional or a teacher. And they feel pretty desperate to go to those measures. You know, it's not just a question of whether the kid is following, you know, the math instruction. It's usually pretty egregious situations where parents have children who can't talk to them and can't report to them what's happening in school, but they suspect some abuse. Um, but even those situations are really fraught with a lot of legal implications. And so leaving aside what the law is in your state about whether you can record somebody without their, their knowledge, um, I would say even if it's lawful in your state, it's going to probably be something that's going to be looked down upon by a hearing officer or court unless you had very compelling reasons to do so. It's going to be seen as sneaky. And while there are many times where something is lawful, it doesn't mean it's something you should do. And so um, recording people without their knowledge is something I, I generally tell parents um, is something I would not want them to do. Okay. Now let's leave that aside from an IEP meeting. There are many cases, and in Connecticut, we have some very good ones, actually, 
that say that in some states, the state um, Department of Education or the courts in that state have determined that it is a parent right to record their child's IEP meeting. And the reasons for those are multiple. Um, In the cases in Connecticut, they involved parents who themselves had disabilities and needed the recording because they either couldn't take notes um, in the meeting or they required more time to process the information. And so that's one reason that some parents record and that there's a, a determination that there's a right. But also sometimes both parents can't make the meeting if both parents are involved. Sometimes the emotions of being in the meeting, as Julie referenced mm. earlier, are so strong for parents. And, you know, we know parents who that one meeting a year is like the worst, most awful, stressful day of their whole year is to gear up for their annual IEP meeting because it is usually it's about your child. It's about, you know, a group of, of people who are working with your child who sometimes can be intimidating to parents because they don't know as much about education as the team. Sometimes, you know, it's a team of 15, 20 people and just the parent. And so it can be very overwhelming. And you do sometimes leave these meetings not entirely certain who said what, um, when, and why. And so there are good, legitimate cases out there that talk about, and and many state departments of education who've taken the position that parents have the right to record, even though that is not federally part of the federal special education laws, it has been interpreted to be a a right in some states. So you need to know if your state is one of them, okay? Um, Whether you should, if you live in a state where, where you can record an IEP meeting, is um, really a judgment call on your part with what kind of relationship you have with the team, with um, whether you're, um, with the reaction you get when you say you want to do it. What I tell parents is if you're going to go down the road of recording, make sure you record every meeting so it's not a question of whether there was something happening at that particular meeting or someone at that meeting that you have suspected. You can simply say, you know, and, and I advise parents to do it as nicely as possible and to give advance notice so the district can have their own recording there as well because they may want to, you know, also record. If the parent's going to be recording, most of the time the district says we're going to record also. Jen, could I just interject really Mm -hmm. quickly here? Because you you bring up the point, you know, the second you say you're going to be recording, everybody's back hairs go up, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and and it's like, oh my God, they don't trust us. And, and so what I always like to say to teams is, look, this is a very overwhelming process to the parents, or I'll have the parents say it to the team. Either mm-hmm. way, it's a very overwhelming process for us. Um, I forget half of what I said in the meeting. Um, I'm going to be recording all of my meetings. And so you want to sort of take the sting out of it, right? And your point Absolutely. of making sure you record all meetings so it doesn't look like you're doing it for every every situation. So the team knows, oh, she's not recording because she wants to catch us at something. And, mm-hmm. you know, the main reason that I record as an advocate is, unfortunately, sometimes when there are meetings and you get the IEP back, the Individualized Education Program documentation back, there may be some discrepancies between what's written on the paper and what actually happened. So it's no a doubt. nice, it's a nice assurance um, to, uh, or an insurance, if you will, that you're, if there is a doubt between uh, something that was recorded, that doesn't seem like it's really what happened at the meeting, you're able to go back to the recording and say, oh, you know what, but this is what really happened. So anyway. Definitely. And and if your school district chooses to record themselves because you're recording, that actually becomes part of your child's educational records. That recording is then part of the record. And you have a right to ask for their a copy of their recording as well. And many times I've had districts say to me, 
our, our recorder isn't working or we're, we're out of batteries or whatever, um, can you send us a copy of your recording? Yeah. And I always uh, tell parents to absolutely make, make a copy available because again, that's part of that cooperative process. So knowing that in your case, Julie, when you called to ask me about this, it was an in, inadvertent recording. The parents did not intend to leave their phone on you, you know, in the rush of you and the, and them going to out of the room to allow the team to talk. They didn't realize it. So probably even in a state where um, you're not allowed to record somebody without your knowledge, their knowledge, doing so without malice or intent would be probably forgivable. Um, I felt that it, in terms of the the uh, optics of the relationship between the parents and the school district, uh, the, the reality was it was documented that there had been disparaging comments made because of the communications between the school district attorney and the director via email about the fact that the parents were going to destroy that portion. It was already known. You know, we all know what happened. There's no reason to um, create an adversarial situation where there is none, even though obviously the team had pretty strong feelings about these parents. Um, and I'm sure that was hard for them to hear. Um, and, and to do as the director did in this case, your best to try to repair the relationship instead of make it worse. So, you know, in, in, in this, in this particular case, those are the ways in which the, the recording itself implicated, um, various state laws and, and in, in certain circumstances, the IDA and, um, another statute that governs educational records. The other parts of the fact pattern, Julie, that implicate the law, let's take a second to talk about IEEs, okay? Mm. Um, you and I have said this many times before. It's probably the most significant protection a parent has under the federal special education laws is the right to a second opinion by someone who is not employed by the school district at the school district's expense through the, the request to have an independent educational evaluation when a parent disagrees with the school district's testing. It's really a complex area of the law. There are you know, law review articles about it. It could be an entire course of law school. It's that complicated. But it is also so tricky because it's so important. And um, the reason is that in a case like this, where the parents suspected their child had a learning disability, and it was kind of late in their education to find that out, the school district did an evaluation and said, nope, there's no disability here. And the parent rightly wanted to get a second opinion by someone who doesn't have a vested interest in the recommendations or the outcome of that evaluation, someone neutral. And the law gives them that right. And so they asked for the evaluation. And when the team denied it, as you noted, Julie, that triggers under the special ed laws an obligation by the school district to convene a due process hearing without delay um, in which they defend their own testing and a hearing officer or uh, an administrative law judge decides whether the parent is entitled to that independent evaluation at public expense. Right. So, Jen, are we into the verdict? Uh, not yet. Oh, not yet. Oh. One, more th one more thing about the law in this particular oh. case that I just want to mention, okay? Well, you know, you, you mentioned... should just know that we take notes <laughs> before here, and I only have two written down. So what, I know, what is I'm it sorry. I'm missing? Okay. Well, it was in your description of the fact pattern, because as you know, it always percolates, um, is that the parents had made a referral to special education oh, you mentioned. Right. Yes. Um, and I want to just make sure everyone's clear. Parents are not the only people who can or do make referrals to special education. In fact, usually it's the school team, but Julie was so smart in this particular situation to make sure that when the team didn't see anything that was uh, alarming to them in terms of a disability, 
the parent exercise their right to make that referral to special education. And any teacher can do it. Any any person can make a referral to special education for a student. And I just thought it was important to note that in this case, the parents made that referral. Right. So are, are, can I go to the verdict now? Yes. Okay. Go to the I'm verdict. A, I'm a, okay. All right. So you know what, Jen, I will tell you to this day, if we are asked to leave the meeting for a break, or if the meeting is over, I am so hyper vigilant about not leaving my phone that I'll even pick it up and I'll say to everyone, I'm turning it off. I'm leaving the room, <laughs> you know, because yeah. uh, even though, you know, it was the, the parents recorder, right. That was left. I, that experience, it has scared me. I'm like, I'm never going to do that again. Like (laughs) I'm never going to let anybody who I work with ever do that again, even though it was totally inadvertent. Um, But I am so hypervigilant about that right now. Um, So, you know, that's partially the verdict. But, you know, the, the, the other verdict is that we really need to be having honest communication. You know, Jen and I do this podcast not to vilify public school districts. Right. We are actually champions of the public school system. And we do this podcast so that people can learn, not only parents, but school teams learn, how do we avoid things that from going so terribly wrong, right? It's so true. And Julie, you know, the your reaction, and, and you know, we're also both products of the public schools, both of us, Absolutely. and proud pro- products of the public schools and feel, we often talk about the amazing educators that we had in, in our education. Um, and so one of the things that, that you point out with that honest communication, and, and it's not just you that that experience changed, it changed me in terms of when I go into <laughs> IEP meetings when I'm recording them, because it made me paranoid. And all I can tell you, it changed Connecticut is a very small state. So it changed the behavior of a lot of school district personnel and their lawyers as well. Because I can tell you anytime I'm in a meeting now where there's a reason to take a break, um, I'm asked by the director or the uh, their lawyer, um, please make sure you have your recording, your recorder with you or nobody's got their phone left out. You know, I mean, they, they're, they're very aware. And it's been a, a few years now. And so every, I think it made everyone a little bit uh, nervous about whether they were accidentally recording conversations. Right. And, you know, we should probably mention that after something like that happens, right, and the and an attorney, the school's attorney is involved, you know that they're, they're going to, without, you know, uh, t- talking about who the student is or where the the parents live. Like, you know, this happened. This is a learning lesson for all of us. Let's make sure we don't do this, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. The word gets around, right? So I I think it's that honest communication, which really is the verdict. We, and and how could have the parents done that? Well, you know what? To, To discuss that, let's go right to the rewind. The rewind where we try to help you um, avoid uh, avoid mistakes like the ones we've seen by trying to see how things could have done di- been done differently. So there are a few things that could have been done differently. One is that honest communication piece that Julie was talking about. Sometimes parents and school districts have to have tough conversations about a child with a disability, and it may not be pleasant, and it may not be um, the either party's desire to have it, because sometimes they're really hard uh, things to hear on both sides. But if you're going to ha- harbor really negative thoughts about your school team or they about the parents, 
trust me, there will come a time where that will boil over mm -hmm. to a really unfortunate situation. And so if in fact, in this particular situation, the school felt that the parents were, you know, uh, dishonest uh, in some way or were making things up or not, not, you know, um, having an accurate understanding of their child's ability in these kinds of cases, it's often, oh, these parents want their child to be, you know, at the you know, highest level of the class and they're just not. And, you know, they try to say that the parents' expectations are unreasonable. If you really feel that way, you know, as a team, try to have an honest, respectful conversation with the parents. We understand that your child is performing in the average range on these tests and that you would prefer that he or she be performing at, you know, a much superior range. But we don't really think that your child has that aptitude. I mean, that's not a fun conversation to have, but it's better than having what happened here occur. Well, and if I could just add in here that it's always not just about how, how someone performs on an assessment. Mm -hmm. It's usually the parent is able to see when the child is home, how they're struggling, whether it's with homework or um, you know, they might be making the grade, so to speak, right? Um, because you can actually have a disability and be getting really great grades, mm -hmm. right? For um, sure. So it's, 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 you know, there's your, your academic achievement and your functional performance. So this student was not failing, right? That's the academic achievement part. Mm -hmm. But how this student was functioning and what that student had to go through to get the grades that he was he was getting is when grades are subject subjective. They're very different from standardized tests. They're often what a teacher feels a student should get as a, you know, an effort um, right. reward. And so that's one of the reasons courts have said, you know, grades are not the only factor to consider whether or not a child is doing well in school. And Jen, you know, I, I forgot something about this, uh, this, this story. And, and this is with many school districts. Um, in this particular case, the parents had come to learn and speaking with the team that when he didn't do well on the first round on something, they would actually give him the assessment again. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly enough, this does happen in some districts and it's not illegal. It's um, no, it's it, usually very well-meaning on the part of the, the teachers who do it, that they're trying to give the kid another shot. Right. And um, so I think that was one of the things that really added to the parents' concern is, you know, it would, he, would, he was doing well because he had been given a second opportunity pretty much all the time. So yeah. I think that was just important to throw out there. That that's a really important fact, and one we see often um, is where you have, you know, as I said, well-meaning educators who really just they, they see this kid working so hard, and they want to make sure that they reward it. But ultimately, um, that may not be the most prudent way to proceed for a student who's suspected of having a disability. It could be covering the, something up, right? Sure, absolutely. And then the other thing in terms of the rewind, Julie, a few things that I, I just want to put out there. Obviously, the school could have just approved the IEE. That's one thing that could have yes. been done differently is they could have simply said, okay, you don't agree with our our conclusion? We'll, we'll, do, we'll do one, which ultimately they did because of Right. the way it was handled. Right. Um, but that's one thing that could have been done differently. And, and we say this frequently. We ask school teams and educators not to be so uh, defensive about an, a request for an independent evaluation. In, in fact, if you're pretty certain that you're right about a child's abilities, needs, disabilities, and you as educators feel strongly about that, then the independent evaluation will, if it's a, a truly independent evaluation, in all likelihood, 
verify your position. So don't be afraid of it. No, absolutely not. And you know, when I said before that it could be hiding something, let me just make sure that wasn't misunderstood. I didn't mean that the school team would have been hiding something, but that it may have been masking like a learning disability. Right. And and very uh, many, many cases, there are informal accommodations being provided to students by educators uh, and they don't become as obvious as what a difference it's making in their performance until they move on from like, say, elementary to middle school, where maybe those new team of people aren't going to give those accommodations. And all of a sudden the kid's falling apart and the performance is not there. And and just for the record, parents as well, parents are often helping their kids do their homework way above and beyond what a parent should be doing with an elementary school student or even a middle or high school student. And when the parent withdraws that support, all of a sudden the kid falls apart. So we caution parents as well. If you feel that the amount of support your child is, is requiring from you at home to get through homework is excessive, um, you might want to find out from the school, and a lot of parents ask this at the beginning mm-hmm. of the year, how many hours a, a night of homework should are, are reasonable for my child to be doing and how much should I be involved in that? If the average is you know, significantly less than what you are actually doing every night, because we know parents who are you know, up till mm-hmm. 1130 with their kid trying to get them through second grade work, mm-hmm. that's, not, that's not the norm. That shouldn't be the case. And so you know, it, it's not just educators who sometimes are providing these um, supports that are not formalized through a plan that can, um, you know, be a little, um, as you said, hiding something not intent intentionally, but is, is not revealing the real struggle that the student is having. Right. Any so, other, other aspects of the rewind? Cause I had one Julie that I'm yeah. curious of what your thought is on, yeah. um, which is I've been asked many times as have you to give the team some time to talk about a request that a parent has made to leave the room, so to speak. Usually when I'm there, the board's lawyer is there and I have a, enough of a, a professional courtesy that I usually know what that means is that he or she is going to tell the team they need to do it, but they don't want to do it with me and the parents in the room. And so they were, I usually know it's going to result if, if we leave the room and give them a few minutes, it usually results in us coming back in to an, uh, a granting of whatever the request was, even if they do it in a way of, um, sort of, we, we don't, we still don't really think we need to do this, but we're going to do it. So I usually agree to it. Um, however, uh, in a situation where a parent is asked to leave the room um, so the team can talk about it, the possibility existed that the parents could have said no. They could have said, we're not leaving. This is part of what we're supposed to be deciding as a team is whether he's entitled to the IEE and we're not leaving. We want to discuss this with the team. What do you think about that, Julie? I'm just curious. You know, I think it's a judgment call. Mm-hmm. I think it is highly dependent on all sorts of things. Do you have a good relationship with the team? Do you not have a great relationship with the team? Um, You know, I I have to say, I think it's highly dependent on the situation. I I think, you know, sometimes that can come come off to the team as, um, you know, the heck with you, we don't care what you want. Um, We're going to be difficult. I agree. I agree. Most of the time I agree with that. The only thing that occurred to me when you were telling the the, the story is sometimes when it's an independent, it's not just an independent evaluation request. Sometimes anytime a parent is asking for something that requires the school district committing additional resources, 
Um, there are many times, especially if parents don't have an advocate or an attorney with them, that the um, the team doesn't feel that they have the authority to answer the question, um, where they don't have, you know, nobody in the room feels that they have the right to approve the cost of an outside evaluation or approve the cost of tutoring or whatever it is the parent's asking for. By law, they're supposed to have that authority. By law, right. the IEP team is required to have someone there who can commit the resources of the district. So if that were the real reason, which is, oh, gosh, somebody's got to call over to central office and find out if we can do this, um, you know, it, it, it kind of sits funny with me, which is why I asked you how well, you felt about it. So, you know, the other thing, Jen, is I will often find that when a parent asks for an IEE, the you know, person who's in charge of the meeting will go around and say, okay, team, well, do we think we need an IEE? Mm-hmm. Or do you think we can educate this child and program for this child appropriately without it? And to which I always say, and I think this is so important for parents yeah. to know, and I say this as respectfully and politely as I possibly can. I said, I like to say, listen, while I very much appreciate hearing what the team has to say, and I will let you say it, I need to let you know that the right to an IEE belongs to the parents all day long, mm-hmm. not the team. It's not a decision. It's not a decision for you to make whether or not you think you need it. It's right. a right that belongs to the parent. And most cases, um, you know, look, look, most people who work in s- school districts who are not expert at, at the IDEA, they may have some clear basic understanding of it, but the average um, person who works in a school district sitting around the team may not know a, a detail like that. That's part right. of the, the IDEA. So, um, you know, just be aware that if you are denied some an, an IEE, it's not up the, to the team to make the decision as to whether or not they think they need it. The right belongs to you, the parent. Right. And, and the team can say, you know, we don't, we're not going to grant it because we think our testing sure. is th- thorough and comprehensive and evaluates in all suspected areas of disability. So we don't think that you're entitled to one. And then it's up to that third party to decide whether the parent is. Um, and, and which is also not to say that sometimes school districts do choose to get independent evaluations. They choose without the parent asking. They say, you know, this is a really complex child. And at this point, we feel that we want some outside assistance from an expert in the, in this particular field or because it's an, an area that they don't have someone on staff. Like most school districts don't have psychiatrists on staff, even right. though they have school psychologists. Um, they, they don't have medical doctors who are necessarily on their, their team. And so they may say, we want to get a medical diagnosis for this child. So we're going to initiate that on our own. But it isn't, as Julie said, it's not the question when a parent asks for an IEE is not whether the team felt that they need an IEE. It's really whether or not they're, um, they believe that their own evaluation um, can, can um, you know, stand up to the standards of a thorough, comprehensive evaluation in that area. So on that note, we'll close the file. But I have to say before we close, please don't forget your phone in the middle of the, of the table. Please don't. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> bye bye. Until we open up our next file, this is Jen Laviano. And Julie Swanson. The Special Ed Files is a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. 
Our executive producer is Dave DeRoche, Quinnipiac University Director of Community Programming. Our producer is Brian Murphy. File closed.